Amen. I guess this is on now, isn't it? It's magic. <laughs> Man, I'm glad to be here. Isn't it good to just... I know I've said it before, but it is. It really is good just to... Whether we're in this building, that building, whatever the case may be, the Spirit of God's there. Amen. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Like I said, I met George a few months ago, and I've just grown to love him. Uh, thank God for him. And... Uh, I'm Josh Harper, for those of you who don't know, my wife is back there, that's Lori, and she's holding my son Jedediah, and where are my daughters? They're back there in the back, Reagan and Kendall, and uh, we pastor there in Mount Ida, been up there for about, I don't know, five or six years now, and uh, the Lord's really blessed us. Back in 2010, March of 2010, my son, he was uh, diagnosed with rhabdomyosarcoma cancer, and I'll just tell, I'll give you a little background. We lived in New Hope, Arkansas. Does anybody know where New Hope, Arkansas is? Wow. There's more people here that know where New Hope is than in Mount Ida. Man. We, I lived in New Hope, Arkansas, and I owned a chicken farm. Now, are there any chicken farmers in here? <laughs> Good. I was going to bring them up here and pray for them. <laughs> we owned a chicken farm down there, and life was great. Lord was blessed. We we were making money, you know. We were fixing we was fixing to put a pool in, you know. We were doing all kinds of stuff to the house, and all of a sudden, uh, I was in the process of building another chicken house. And all of a sudden, I was mowing the yard one day, and something spoke to me. The Lord spoke to me, and He said, "I don't want you to build that other chicken house, just like that." And it wasn't any lightning bolts didn't go off. I didn't fall off the lawnmower or anything like that. I just said, why, Lord? And he said, because you won't do what I want you to do. That's what he said. <laughs> so I wrestled it around there for a couple of weeks. Turned into a real grouch for a little while, you know. And I stopped building the chicken house and I told my wife. In the process there, the Lord called me to preach up at a little place called Ailey, Arkansas. Does anybody know where Ailey, Arkansas is? A few of you know? A little old bitty. It's not even really a place. <laughs> it's just a community. Yeah, yeah, you know where Ailey's at. It's not there anymore. <laughs> if you go to Ailey, Arkansas, you are going to the church because that is all that's there. So he called me to preach a little old place called Ailey, Arkansas. And I went in there and I told Lori, I said, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're going to Ailey. Okay, you know, she, she's ready to go. I, I thought this went great. went a lot easier than I ever dreamed that it would go because my wife was born and raised down there in Kirby, you know, her dad was a school board member. She was the homecoming queen at Kirby. You know, she never in her life intended on leaving Kirby, Arkansas. So when I walked in and said, hey, we're going to Ailey. Okay, let's go. I thought, the Lord has worked a miracle here. <laughs> anyway, she was not grasping what I was saying. She thought, you know, we'll drive an hour and a half. You know, we'll do all that. I said, no, hon, we're moving. And the Lord had not worked that miracle yet. <laughs> there is still dirt under her fingernails from Pike County where I drug her out of that place. <laughs> but anyway, we moved. Or we had that farm, you know, and, and I thought, you know, Lord, all right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I have no way of making a living. Uh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. That church has eight people, eight people. 
uh, don't know what, you know, I don't know, but I know that's what you want me to do, so, I won't, so we're going to go. I, but secretly in my heart, I thought, I can't sell this farm in a good economy. There's no way this thing's going to sell, you know, so, it, you know, it'll work out. Put the sign up for sale, just a little sign at the end of the driveway. Three months to the day I put the sign up. We were moving in at Mount Ida, uh, going to Ailey. The Lord blessed. We went up there to that church. was doing what the Lord wanted me to. The thing grew, and man, people were being saved, and things were going great. I thought, I am in the will of God. He is taking care of me. Things are going wonderful. Then all of a sudden, in March of 2010, my son is diagnosed with a rare, this is what it is, a rare and aggressive muscle cancer called rhabdomyosarcoma. And I'll be honest with you, my first <laughs> reaction was, God, I'm, you know, I left my livelihood. I moved out. You know, I'm doing what you want me to do. Why? Why? You know, why is this? Why? So anyway, we get the doom and gloom story, you know, 95% death rate, you know, all of these things. And when the doctor called, we, he had the, the, the tumor came up, we had it removed, and, and the doctor called to tell us what it was. And Lori was standing in the den there on the phone, and I was sitting there eating lunch with Jed, and, and she just collapsed in the floor. And the doctor told us, and I picked Jed up, and we went into the kitchen, and I found some oil, and we anointed him, we began to pray for him. And uh, that night, Lisa... Where's she at? Right over here. Uh, was at our church at Ailey when we were up there. And she called and she said, Do you care if some of the ladies or some of the people from the church come and stand in your yard and pray tonight? Because we were going the next day for over to Children's for the next scans and all that. And I said, Lori said, No, absolutely not. We come, come pray. We don't care at all. Well, that night at 7 o'clock, we walked out on the porch and there was over 200 people in our yard. And it was amazing. And we all just gathered up out there, and, and they set a chair out there, and Lori sat down in the chair holding Jed. I was standing behind them. And that night, it was beautiful because there were Pentecostals, there were Baptists, there were Methodists, there was everything you could think of there. But for that night, they weren't. They were just the body of Christ, you know. And they came there, and they prayed for my son. And y'all know, I know Pleasant Hill knows what it's like when the Spirit begins to move. Amen. You know when the Spirit begins to move, it's hard just to sit still, isn't it? Well, that night, the Spirit began to move, and my son, Lori, was holding him there, and he's three years old, three years old. And the Spirit began to move, and, and it moved on Jed. And his leg kind of kicked up like that. And my dad was knelt down there in front of him praying. And when his leg kind of kicked up, it, it hit my dad there. And my dad, he just raised up. He said, it's okay, son. We're praying for Jesus to take care of you. And this is what he said. He said, I know, Papa. I can see him right there. That's what he said. And we went the next day and they haven't found one cell of cancer in his body since that day. <laughs> Amen. So when I tell you that that cancer journey changed my life, that's the truth. Because now, you know, I wasn't just telling people about Jesus anymore. I wasn't just telling people that he was a miracle working God, all those things. It was something I'd lived. I had seen it firsthand. You know, I had watched him take a rare and aggressive cancer with a 95% death rate. You know, they told us it was probably up in his abdomen and all around, all those things. And the power of God just erased it. It was awesome. So when I tell you that God is for real and the power of God is for real, I'm not just telling you that. It's the truth. It's the truth. I have experienced it. Amen. So I just, you know, everywhere I go, uh, I like to tell that story and share that testimony. While I was pastoring daily, there was this, this old man that went to church up there, Brother Williams. 
And uh, he, was, he liked to testify. And I remember one night, he was one of those guys, when he stood up to testify, you better get comfortable, okay? I remember one night I thought, you know, I'm gonna, uh, you know I didn't have my sermon already or whatever, you know. George knows what I'm talking about. And I said, you know, I'm going to do testimony service. <laughs> so I get up there and I said, hey, we're going to have a testimony service. And Brother Williams jumped up and 45 minutes later, we dismissed. <laughs> that was it. That's the truth. But anyway, you know, he would testify all the time, these long testimonies, and people would get where they would feel like, you know, Brother Williams, you know, standing back up. But he told me one time, he said, you know, for all the things that the Lord's done for me, I would be ashamed if I won't stand up and tell somebody about it. And that's the way I feel with all the things that the Lord has done for me. I ought to be ashamed if I don't tell them what He's done for me. Amen? So I want to tell that. I'm going to preach tonight out of Ezekiel. And uh, how many of you have ever heard the story of the watchman? You ever heard that story? Well, we're going to be in Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. And my mouth is dry, so there ain't no telling where this may go. I don't know about this glass pulpit. I may be the only preacher alive that has ever bloodied his knuckles from preaching. <laughs> well, we have this wood one at our church, and it's really pretty. It's all engraved, you know, this wood pulpit thing, and... Man, I was getting with it one day. I think I was preaching on sin or something, you know. And boy, I was, I was really going there. And I noticed everybody kind of looking at me funny. And I looked at my hand and my whole hand was just solid blood where I punched that pulpit. Bloodied my knuckles. So uh, if we break it, George will take care of it, all right? <laughs> 33rd chapter of Ezekiel. The watchman. Now, we probably all know this story. probably all read it before. But... I think about it sometimes because I really believe, and I'm, I think y'all might agree with me, that we probably are approaching the last days. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe we're in that season? Thank you, brother. I believe that we're in that season. So I believe that it is imperative for us now to be the watchman like we never have been before, okay? So the 33rd chapter of Ezekiel, let's read. First verse. It says, again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land, take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. And when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. And he heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take that warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, Therefore you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I come to you and I thank you so much for your blessings. I thank you so much for allowing us to be here. I thank you so much for each one that's here. And I ask you bless them for it, Lord. Tonight I ask that you just anoint this word. Help it not to be me. Lord, help it not to be me in any way. But just let it be completely and totally you. 
Just make me the mouthpiece. Make me an open and willing vessel. Lord, let it all be you. Pierce our heart with a word that we need tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So basically what this story is about, back in those days, they would set a person way up on a high tower that could see a long ways out there. And they would look out for the enemy. And if they looked out there and they saw the enemy, it was up to that watchman to blow the trumpet or sound the alarm and let the people know that the enemy was approaching. And what he's saying is, is when you see, if you're the watchman and you see the enemy coming, if you blow that trumpet and sound the alarm and say, hey, the enemy is approaching and the people don't listen to you and they just go about their business and the enemy comes and takes them, that's their own fault, isn't it? Right? But... If you look out there, if you're the watchman, and you look out, and you see the enemy coming, and you just decide to be lazy, and you don't sound the alarm, and you don't blow the trumpet, and then the enemy comes and takes the people, whose fault is it? It's the watchman's fault. That's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. He said, those people's blood will be on your hand. Well, you know what? The moral of the story is that we are the watchman. The enemy is... Out there, right? Seeking who he may devour like a raging lion. But my point is tonight, as we enter into these days to come, as we enter into these last days, the end times, whatever you want to call it, the perilous times that are coming, it is up to us to be sounding the alarm, blowing the trumpet, getting the people ready for the Lord's return, right? So as I begin to think about that and begin to think about how God has placed us to be the watchman, I started thinking about, well, what are we telling them? You ever think about that? We're the watchmen. We're supposed to be sounding the alarm. We're supposed to be spreading the message. Well, just exactly what message are we telling them? The world can look at us Christians sometimes and get a pretty gloomy message, can't they? I told them in church this morning, my church really loves me. I just sugarcoat everything for them. (laughs) I told them this morning, it seems like sometimes our hallelujah meeting seems more like a funeral service. That's the message and that's the alarm that us Christian folk, church people, are sounding sometimes. So I begin to think about, if we're the watchmen and we're supposed to be sounding the alarm, what exactly should we be telling them? So I got a list. You use lists, George? I rarely do, but I got one for (laughs) y'all. My wife makes lists. Let's hope I follow this one better than I do her. Number one. The number one thing that we should be telling a lost and dying world is this. That there is someone who loves them. Do you know that? Sometimes as Christians, we're real quick to tell them about all the sin they're committing. And about how they're going to die and burn in hell. But we fail to tell them, number one, first and foremost, that there is someone who loves them so much that they died on a cross for them. Amen? That's the number one thing. The number two thing is this, that we are all sinful flesh. We got any sinners in the house tonight? Angelo, I'm making sure you raised your hand. We're all sinful flesh. The first thing we need to tell them is that there is someone who loves them desperately. And the next thing we need to tell them is, look, I am sinful flesh as well. The only difference in me and you is the blood that's covering me. It's not that I've got it all figured out and I learned how to live perfect. It's that Jesus loved me and He died for me and now I've accepted Him and His blood covers me. That's the message we need to tell them. Amen. 
that we're all sinful flesh, for all have sinned and fallen short. Amen. The next thing I begin to think about that we should be telling this world is that number one, there is a heaven and there is a hell. And you're going to end up in one of them. You're going to end up in one of them. Heaven is real, realer than we can even imagine, but so is hell. So many of these preachers today and ministries today, they want to sow, take your sown seed and make you feel good about yourself and smile at you real pretty, but they rarely ever tell you the truth and that is that there is a place that you will spend eternity and it will either be heaven or hell. A message that needs to be preached. I turned on the TV the other day on the church channel or one of those channels and guess what you could get? If you called now, your free prophecy. That's what it said. Oh, brother something. I don't remember what his name was. He said, call now for a limited time only and you can get your free prophecy. I thought, oh man. (laughs) Where's the phone? (laughs) But you know what? That's, That's what I saw and it made me think, you know what? This world is so mixed up. They're probably receiving calls that I can't even call them on. There is a heaven and there is a hell and there you will end up in one of them. No way around it. No matter what you believe, no matter what you think, that's the truth. One of the two places you will spend eternity. The fourth thing I begin to think of, that we the watchmen should be telling a lost and dying world is that Jesus died on a cross just for them. The plain old truth, the plan of salvation. Do you know that if you were the only person on this earth, that Jesus would have still died the same death just for you? You know that? Sometimes we Christians, we want to thank God and praise God for the death that He died for us, but we forget that He died that death not for the one that was whole, but for the one that was sick. And so much of the world, the reason they are turned away from God, it's not because of what they hear or what they know, but it's because of what they see out of us. Holier than thou hypocrites. George, I'll probably never get asked back down here. We'll eat your ice cream and go, though. (laughs) Jesus died on a cross so that you could spend eternity in heaven. He died just for you. The fifth thing that we should be telling a lost and dying world is there is nothing in this world that they have done that God cannot and will not forgive. They have never went too far that Jesus won't reach down and pick them up. Amen. Let me tell you something. This is a true story. I told you I was a pastor's son. Grew up every time the doors were open being in the church. I knew what my dad was going to preach on Well, the way he opened his Bible. If he got up there with a hop and turned to the back of the book, I slumped way down in the seat back there because I knew he was talking about revelations or something. If he got up there in the front, I got my, you know, whatever I was preoccupying myself with and set in for the long haul because he was talking about the law or something. I knew what he was going to preach on. I was in there all the time, ever singing, ever supper, ever funeral, ever wedding, everything that went on, I was in the church. I was so, <laughs> so tired of being in the church that one day I can remember somebody asking me, 
about Jesus. I remember this distinctly. And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know about all that stuff. I ain't, I ain't much on that. He said, aren't didn't your dad a preacher? I said, yeah, but I, I don't think much about that. I don't, I don't like that too much. And now I think about that, and it just crushes me. It just crushes me. What does it do to you when somebody just boldly rejects you, don't want anything to do with you, just turns away from you, acts like they don't like you, acts like they don't care you, it just kills you, don't it? So what do you think that does to the Lord when we do that? I think about that now and I think, you know what, it would be real easy for Him. He's God. He is God. He's the Creator. He can do anything He wants to by snapping His fingers. It would be real easy for Him just to say, all right, buddy, you're out. I'll show you how much you know. You're out. I can remember, this is a true story. I can remember one night getting in a vehicle when I did not need to be driving and almost killing myself and the person riding with me. And I think to myself, you know what? What if that would have happened? My Lord, I have been in a lost shape. The Bible tells me that I was the person that in Revelations He said He wants to spew out of His mouth. I had one foot on one side and one foot on the other side. I knew all about God but did not know God. I had a form of godliness but I denied the power within. I was a lukewarm person and it says that He wants to vomit me out of His mouth in that day. I was that person but let me tell you something. One day I hit rock bottom and the only place I knew to look was up and He reached His long arm down and rescued me and set my feet on a solid rock and He saved my soul and turned my life around. And I want to tell you something. There is nothing that you can do that Jesus won't pull you out of. Amen. And we as Christians need to be sounding that trumpet as loud as we can to a lost and dying world. Amen. There is nothing you can do that Jesus will not and cannot forgive you for. The next thing I was thinking about is something that is, seems to be completely lost in the church world today, and that's baptism. You ever think about that? Man, we bring them in by the hundreds, get them saved, and then throw them to the wolves. It's kind of what we do. We had VBS. 25 got saved. Hallelujah. Where are they at now? I don't know. That's the way the church world looks at it. But you know what? Baptism is a very serious thing. Jesus said, hey, I did it, you do it. That's right. Jesus wants to know if you're completely committed to Him. What better way than by the way that He designed by being baptized and saying, look world, I have died with Christ. I have been raised up with Christ and now I'm going to show everybody about it. Amen. Baptism. The next thing seems to be a lost art in the modern church today and that's growing in the Lord. <laughs> Hey, let's stay on the milk. It's good enough for me. No. Uh, we read about it this morning. Peter said that you should desire to grow. Desire to grow. Sound the alarm that look. Salvation is not the final point. It's just the beginning of new life in Christ. Amen. Growing in the Lord. And then the last part, and this is where I'm going to begin my sermon tonight. <laughs> Number eight. Outreach is not laughing. Yeah. They're saying, y'all better not laugh. Y'all have no idea. The last thing that I have wrote down here could quite possibly be the most imperative, and that's the return of Jesus. 
We are the watchmen. I believe that each one of us should be in the mind of John the Baptist right now. John the Baptist was sent here for a specific reason. To prepare the people for the Lord's coming, right? John the Baptist wasn't worried about what clothes he wore. He wasn't worried about making fashion statements. He wasn't even worried about getting in the back pew on time of church. You know, he wasn't worried about what eating joint he was eating at afterwards anyway. Let me tell you something. Up there at Mount Ida, our church is right in the, the court or the square right there. We're in the corner building. And we share the same parking lot as a couple of the eating joints there. And man, we'd had church one day and man, we had one of those hallelujah meetings, you know. And we got out about, I don't know what time it was. <laughs> Later than normal. And uh, we were still using the parking lots. And I walked out in the front door. And there was this old woman right there. And buddy, she was ready to tie into me. And so I just jerked Lori and put her up there. (laughs) But anyway, she said, hey, is that your car? And it wasn't mine, but it was somebody at church's. And I said, no, ma'am. She said, well, (laughs) I about had all of this. She said, I can't even park here to get over in the Mexican joint. That's the truth. She tore me up right there. <laughs> and I, w- <laughs> I wanted to say something, but I didn't. And I just said, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'll, I'll let the preacher know. <laughs> His name is Matt Cook. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, all she could think about, and you know, anyway, the moral of the story, the, the funny part about the story is when she finally got out and slammed her door and made her way over there, on the, her front license plate was, follow me to certain, certain church. <laughs> and I thought, you know what, that's, that's about right. All we're worried about is getting out and making it on time. You know, John the Baptist, he wasn't worried about any of that kind of junk. He was there for one reason, to sound the alarm that the Lord was coming, amen? And we're supposed to be the watchmen. He told us right here. So are we up on that tower and are we watching? Are we just lazing around like a bunch of old church people tonight? Get out and sound the alarm that Jesus is a holy God and He loves you and He wants to save you and He'll fight for you and He's got a place prepared for you and one of these days he's returning for you amen hallelujah to the lamb that was worthy to open the book amen jesus is king and one of these days and one of these days very soon he is returning amen how many of you are ready and waiting upon that return Jesus said, I am returning for a church that is watching and waiting. How many of you watchmen out there this this evening are truly watching and waiting for that appearing in the sky? You know what he said? He said, in the last days, there'll be great earthquakes in diverse places. How many of you heard of that lately? He said, there'll be wars and commotions and rumors of wars. How many of you heard of that lately? All of those things, right? But you know what Jesus said? He went on to say, but... Don't be afraid when you begin to see these things come to pass. How many of you are beginning to see those things come to pass? He didn't say after it happened. He didn't say on this certain date. He said when they begin to come to pass. He didn't say go hide in the hole or get scared or go stockpile everything. He said, church, look up because your redemption is a coming now. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus is returning 
very soon for a church that is watching and waiting for Him. Amen. It's not about the building. It's not about the name on the front of the door. It's not about what job you have. It's not about this or about that. It is 100% completely from beginning and end about Jesus and the shed blood that He shed on Calvary for you. And it is our job now as the church, the watchman to begin to sound the alarm to a lost and dying world about Jesus and nothing else. Amen. Don't put your church out front. Put Jesus out front. We are to be a watchman like none other. If we truly believe that we are in that last day, what an honored generation that we are. Think about that. I truly believe that. When I first surrendered into the ministry, I was completely consumed with Bible prophecy. I was. Those poor folks up there at Ailey, (laughs) every sermon was about Bible prophecy. We had this one old lady. I love her. Loved her to death. Sister Irene. And she sat right there on that front all the time. And they parked in the front. And if you got their spot, you knew about it. (laughs) But they sat up there on the front. And man, I was in there and I used to have maps. I had one whole room in my house just laid out of maps and notes and I was just consumed with it. Man, I would would get in there and I would read and I would study and I would go into the Greek and go into the ancient world and the Roman Empire and all those things and it was just blaring. It was like Jesus was up there just blaring His alarm that this is it. The time is near. And I would run down the hall and I'd say, Lori, did you know that modern day Iran is Persia? And she'd say, no! And I'd grab Reagan and I'd say, how about you? No. I'd just go crazy about it. So I'd be up there at Ailey and I'd be preaching. I was doing a very in-depth study of Daniel one time. And I was so excited. And man, I patted myself on the back all week for this study I was doing. You know, we spent about two months on three or four verses. And I just thought I was doing so good. And Irene, she was sitting up there. And she always looks like she was into it. You know, I mean, she was, you know. And I said something about, aren't y'all liking this study? You know, I was so excited. And I said, Irene, don't you just love this? And she looked up and she said, I think we need to get on with it. (laughs) That's what she said. And I said, point taken. Matthew. But I was so consumed with it. Not because I just thought it was interesting, but because everything that I would study would point to now. It would. Whether you study current governments versus biblical governments, it points to now. Old countries versus current countries, points to now. The natural disasters, points everything. Everything you look at points to right now. So we are a privileged generation. And it should not terrify you if you are a born-again believer. It should give you a sense of excitement. Amen. Those places we were talking about, heaven or hell, and you're going to be in one of them, if you are a born-again believer, it ought to excite you to know that your redemption draws nigh and that heavenly home is awaiting. But we are a chosen generation to be a watchman like none other. And these are the things that we should be telling them. That Jesus loves them. He loves you more than you could ever imagine.
He really does. He died for you. You have sinned. I have sinned. Everybody has sinned. But He died one death to pay for that sin. He atones for that sin. And all you have to do is recognize the fact that Jesus died for your sin and that you have committed sin. And then say, Lord, it's not me. I can't take care of it. But you can. And I know that you can. And I know that God raised you from the dead. Save my soul and He'll wash it away. Have we told many people about that lately? Have we told many people that, look, I know you might not want to hear it, but He is returning and I love you and He loves you. So this is why. Have we told many people about that? Are we being much of a watchman today? If we're not being, it's nobody's fault but ours. Because He's given us all the signs. He's given us His Word. He's given us everything that we need to be equipped for this job. It's just up to us to do it. Pleasant Grow or Pleasant Hill, community outreach, anybody in between. We are the church and we are children of God. Not church members, children of God. And we have an opportunity to lead more people to Him. If we'll just sound that alarm and blow that trumpet like we never have before. Can we do that? Let's all stand tonight. If the musicians, if we could have some musicians come up tonight, we're going to have altar service. And as they're coming, I will ask you to bow your head. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I come to you and I thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here tonight. And I ask that you just continue to move in this place. I ask that you just speak to our heart, just pierce our heart in just the way that we need. And I ask you just anoint this altar service and move in a very special way, Lord. Let it be completely about you. Move on us. In Jesus' name, amen.